This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Inside Communications on Bartholomew Town is presented by Half Street Group, who bring a new generation's perspective to leadership communications, strategic public relations, and digital marketing. Half Street helps organizations and leaders take control of their own stories and manage their reputations. They get results for their clients by focusing on audience, message, and culture, and by leveraging their decade-long relationship with media and opinion leaders in the Ocean State and throughout New England. Join me and Half Street Group founder and President Mike Ray of today here on Bartholomew Town for a conversation about news of the day, the hottest media analysis, and a look behind the scenes at how impactful leaders drive conversations. And you can learn more at halfstreetgroup.com. All right, welcome into Inside Communications. It's our monthly series with Half Street Group's Mike Rea. Mike, who has worked inside government, he's worked on campaigns, and now for the last two years has run his own shop, Half Street Group, And in this segment, we've been taking a deep dive into all sorts of aspects of communications and kind of pulling back the curtain on media and analysis and really strategic public relations and just how to communicate from an organizational standpoint. And really, these are things that you can extrapolate down to the individual level. So Mike, as always, great to see you. Great to see you too, Bill. This is so much fun. I've I've really enjoyed this series. I'm looking forward to continuing it into 2024. One thing that is, before we get started, and I just noted it there, you're two years into this. We, we can talk about this more in depth um, at some point, but what's, what's at some point today in this episode, but what's your, you know, kind of two-year reflection right now as you come to a close, just as a small business owner in Rhode Island? Oh, man. It's been, I got to say, like, anyone who is ever tinkering with the idea of taking a bet on yourself, go and do it. Um I don't regret going out and starting this company for a minute. Um, I, I often joke that I had the best job and the best boss I ever had when I worked in the Raimondo administration and I got to work directly with Gina Raimondo and I was her communications director. But the opportunity to be able to build something, to be able to go out and, and hire good people with different perspectives than I have and different experience than I have and and build a culture from the ground up um, has been amazing. And I've also had the opportunity over the period of the last two years to work with two dozen incredible clients, Um, the majority of them here in Rhode Island, um, but working with school districts across the country, working with big uh, and small nonprofits um, here in Rhode Island, working with emerging corporate leaders. It's It's been such a great experience. Um, and it's something where in this type of market, it's it's I've really had a, a sense of feeling that there's a lot of support around. I mean, obviously there's things that the business community in Rhode Island can do better. There's things that the state can do better for small businesses. Um, but by and large, I, I, I have found um, that this is a place that, is a an incredible place to start a business. Um, it's been a, a great place to be able to build a brand. Um, I've had a ton of support, um, things like the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. Um, the, the Rhode Island Department of Labor and Training was incredibly helpful for me when I was first hiring. Um, and they made me aware of some on-the-job training programs that I was able to take advantage of and, and that I was able to put some of my employees into. Um, the support team at Rhode Island Commerce is, is amazing. Um, so there really is a, if, if you commit the time to it, this is a good place to be able to start a business and, and I wouldn't do it any other way. And I look forward to doing it for another decade at least. 
All right, so here we are. It is the holiday season, of course. We're well into it now at this point. In fact, I have a gigantic plate of cookies that are sitting on my kitchen table and need to be thrown out or given away to somebody else. Why didn't here. we do this podcast in person, Bill? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe someday AI will be able to deliver those via the internet directly to you. Love but it. for the time being, if um, you know the old uh, jolly Saint Nick, if he were to descend upon us right now and offer one organization or person a redo on their comms for this year. Who do you have? You know what? There's a lot. I mean, I think you can go through anything. And, and I think with hindsight, everything is always 2020. But the year started in a, with a lot of excitement on uh, Smith Hill and, and going up toward PC's campus and, and people kind of looking at what the priors were doing. And, and the wheels really feel, felt like they came off toward the end of the year. And, and, and I would honestly say that if anything could be rewritten or if anything can go back and be redone, it would be the way that Ed Cooley left the priors. Um, and I say that as a, a Cooley fan, I, I'm, I'm not one of those folks that's going to be at the dunk or, or the amp, I apologize, um, at the amp in a couple of weeks when, when Georgetown comes back up here booing Ed Cooley. Um, without the 11, 12 years that we had of him in Providence, that that team would not be what it was. But what happened, and I think that looking back at it, the lack of thought around how to actually roll this out from everybody's side, from Ed's side, from the college's side, from the Big East side. And, and in some ways, I think the Big East is, is almost the biggest culprit in some of this. Um, but I think there's a lot to learn, not just about kind of what happened at PC or what happened with, with, with Ed in that Anytime an organization is going through that kind of massive transitional leadership or, or transitional change, there needs to be thought put into what are you going to and how are you going to roll that out? So, I mean, if we can, like take it from like start that conversation, like through the perspective of Ed Cooley himself. I mean, if you're an executive or if you're a, a large brand within an organization and you know that you're leaving, and you're leaving kind of on your own terms or you're leaving at a, a moment in time that's not aligned with what has been articulated by the, the rest of the organization, you've got to take control of that story yourself. Ed Cooley should have hired a crisis communications firm as soon as he knew he was going to entertain a conversation with Georgetown. Um, there are strict confidentiality requirements that I sign with clients all the time. Um, and maybe he did sign one and they just didn't do a great job with him. But the first thing that someone in a, a situation like that should do is hire a crisis communications consultant, someone that's going to be able to make force them to see the entire picture from a 360 degree realm. This isn't a lawyer who's going to help you get the right contract. This isn't an accountant who's going to help you figure out how to do all the taxes around it. This is someone who is only there to pay attention to what your reputation, what your brand is. Because if you actually look at what, what Ed did is in the way that he left and, and the, the way that he wasn't able to manage some of the story and the way that he allowed so much of the, this, whether it was rumor, innuendo, or, or just, you know, feelings of, of jilted hearts. Um, he's created now a a lasting taste in a place that is going to be a part of his legacy. I hope like 
Georgetown being good is good for the Big East. I hope he never wins in Providence again, but I do hope that he has success at Georgetown. But when his obituary is written or when his got the stories about his kind of career when he decides to retire, what he did at Providence is going to be a part of that. And he could have managed that better by taking into account what he did for the fans here, being able to tell his story first, rather than letting go local Providence leak that he had a realtor over at the house, not letting uh, the, 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 college publications or the college basketball reporters talk about clandestine meetings with Georgetown in between uh, games um, when they were preparing for, for the, for the tournament. Um, so I think that's the, like the biggest one. And I think that every organization in, and I'd love to get some of your perspective on this because you, you know, college basketball, you know, sports, and, and you were probably on the receiving end of some of the, the kind of different narratives that were coming in on any of it. But I think as as organizational leaders look at what they can learn from this, it's make sure that you're thinking about your own leadership brand in those transitionary moments. Um, and we can definitely talk too. like we should talk about what do you do as an organization when you're confronted with the unexpected departure of somebody? No question about it. And if you think about this, the specific example around Cooley, there really were two organizations that were impacted by it beyond just Cooley himself and his own legacy. One of them would be the Big East because this was the first time that a coach left one East, one Big East program for another Big East program. So that did some, it changed some dynamic. Maybe that's modern college sports anyway, that it really is a mercenary climate and it just sort of exposed a, a gentleman's agreement that existed within the Big East as coming to an end, so to speak. I'm not sure how big a deal or how much of a disruptor that was, but one thing that was definitely a disruptor was just on the basketball court. When you look at what the Friars, that last season began optimistically in a way that you thought they could at least match what they had done the previous season, advancing significantly in the NCAA tournament and continuing to build that program to, hey, are we talking about a team or a club that in five, 10 years could become something of a UConn? Uh, something of a maybe a blue blood, maybe not a blue blood, but trending in that direction. And I the love team that collapsed. optimism. <laughs> that, yeah, well, that was I, that's optimistic yeah. for sure. But the team collapsed. There's no other way to put it. The yeah. team co- So the organization, because of those leaks, because of that tumultuous scenario, the organization not only underperformed, but like I said, it really did collapse. Right. And that's one of the things that any organization needs to be thinking about. And, and if you think about kind of where Rhode Island is right now, where we've got nonprofit organizations, higher education organizations. We've got a, you know, uh, a uh, fairly robust business or, uh, association or, or business network, all with leaders who are at natural moments of transition. Um, the, the And there is this major move that's happening across the state. Uh, organizations are starting, boards are starting to think about handing over the, the, the reins to a new generation of leaders. Those organizations can't get caught flat-footed. And in some ways, the product that we ended up seeing on the basketball court last year was a result of an organization that that felt like they got caught flat-footed in it. And they weren't able to get in in front of some of the the, the stories. They weren't able to uh, shut the story down or get out and just rip the Band-Aid off and tell the story. And in some ways, that's the, the, the... the, the value proposition that organizational leaders need to to be able to take on. And, and do you want to send this signal to everybody that Ed Cooley's uh, t- 
tenure with Providence College is going to end in the middle of a run toward the Big East tournament or the middle of a run toward the NCAA tournament. At first blush, probably not. But with 2020 hindsight, could that have been the thing that could have ended up making everybody feel a little bit better about it and be able to say, you know what? For whatever reason or, or, or uh, reasons outside the college's control, Ed Cooley has decided that uh, he's going to depart the, the, the college and, and we're fully committed and, and be able to, instead of trying to, to kind of put these statements out there that were in many senses and, and in some ways in, in the, the after effect almost seemed disingenuous um, because of how quickly things moved after the season ended. Um, that is something that organizations should be thinking about of how do you make sure that you get in front of those tumultuous stories or those those departures and be able to assure and and maintain the component of the narrative to show the next leaders and to show your kind of core stakeholders and constituents or funders or donors um, or customers that this disrupt this disruption in leadership is not going to take the, the eye off the ball and credit to PC. They did once everything was done, once at once it was kind of announced Ed was going to Georgetown, I think within 12 hours of the, 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 uh, Ed getting a 202 cell phone number in DC PC was out and they announced both the new men's basketball coach and a new women's basketball coach. Um, and I think the rollout around Kim English and the rollout around the kind of mindset philosophy that he was bringing in was fantastic and immediately took back a lot of that narrative. Um, even while you know it was kind of you, you had this sense that um, Cooley was still trying to introduce himself in in Georgetown. Yes, and literally at a press conference that was held in the in the gym on whatever it was a Monday morning and. The big piece here that I think you touch on in some is continuity. You know, you have a brand, you have an institution, you have an organization in PC basketball. And the big concern was one, okay, well, Ed Cooley's betraying the city and the state. I mean, that was obviously the the most basic level narrative that was out there and was kind of being pushed, unfortunately, by some folks. Um, but at the end of the day, really what, it ma- what matters is, and you see this in other sports organizations, you see this in business all the time continuity what's the next plan who's you know if you're talking belichick who's next what's next is it a is it a clean slate is it a brand new program or is it a gerard Gerard mayo is it a you know um a a mike rabel somebody from that belichick tree and at least the general public sees that and says yeah there is a plan there is life beyond this even before sort of the downturn of the the patriots program there was that thought of this can go on indefinitely even after bill or even after right. Brady, because continuity is established. That wasn't the case at PC, and it did feel like an abrupt ending to what was at that point, other than maybe the Patriots, probably the most exciting sports thing in the market. Right, and and actually, and as you were saying some of that, it actually made me think a little bit about um, kind of taking it or, or or looking a little bit more at some of the other things that happened in this market. One of the best transitions in leadership that I saw this year was the one that we saw at Rhode Island Foundation. Yes. Um, and in some ways, really similar, like, or, or uh, not exactly similar to to the PC, but you had in Neil Steinberg, someone who had a decade of experience, a decade of credibility, someone who in many ways became synonymous with the organization that he was leading. Um, and there was a very thoughtful transition 
Um, Neil was very upfront with people of this is going to be kind of the end of my tenure here. It allowed the organization to be able to be thoughtful and deliberative about the way that it was going to to search for a successor. And there was continuity in that the the priorities um, that the foundation set have have held. And, and, and I says the, the foundation is not a client of Half Street Groups, um, although we we are uh, very supportive of a lot of their work and they do support a number of our clients. Um, but there was a a very clear sense of we know that we need someone with a very clear-cut leadership brand but we also know that we want to bring in a slightly different personality or we want to bring in a a different focus or we want to bring in a different perspective and they went in the route and they brought in a david cicillini to to be able to 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 run that organization someone who had built-in credibility someone who had a, a a sense of narrative and a sense of storytelling about what the mission for the organization would be um and what we've seen through that is certainly a little bit of a, a change in structure or a, a, a change in conversation about what the foundation does, but it has not been this upending of what their mission is. Um, and there was very a very clear handoff and a very intentional approach to be able to, to, to work through through that transition. And I think that a lot of other organizations, when looking at kind of these two very high profile examples, there's something to learn from each of them um, that organizations should take. And I, I think that there's certainly things within the, the the Ed Cooley departure of things that you can address or do differently, but there are also things in there of, that you can try to look at uh, and replicating in, in that rollout and the way that they introduce the new coaches is one taking from the Rhode Island Foundation, that kind of real clear focus on, on mission and introduction and having that that uh, baked in sense of timing for people to understand so that you're not surprising them with an announcement, right. um, which I know it's difficult to do that in high level sports um, in, in the same way, but you have seen some of these things where it is more of a, it, there are tumultuous opportunities. Even look at the way that Georgetown got rid of uh, Patrick Ewing. Everyone knew that he was leaving at the end of that season and he was able to leave in a way that he sensed that it was on his terms and with the respect of the university. And, and so there are ways to be able to make those transitions, even when they might not necessarily be planned by mutual parties. That's right. No question about it. Um, you have a very diversified portfolio of clients. There's no question about that. I mean, it's really in a number of different sectors, athletics, housing, you know, you name it, it's it's there. So kind of looking back on your year, 2023, give us an example of some of the work that you've done and, you know, kind of highlight some of the the successes that and, and, and what you've learned from those or even some of the failures, if there are any. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate that. So there's I mean, I, I, I don't I'm a little reluctant always to call anything. I said I don't want to leave any clients out. Um, right. And exactly. we are blessed. Like we, we've got a a really, really good mix of organizations that we work with, but even more importantly, uh, great people that we work with. I, I think I'm I'm one of those lucky consultants that I'm, I'm able to say I truly and genuinely like all of my clients. Um, and, and I feel like we're in a place where 
we're diverse enough and, and we're large enough that we get something different that we get to do every day. Um, but we're also still small enough that we are able to pay attention to and know our clients on a personal level. Um, there's a bunch of things that we've done this year that I'm proud of. And, and, and I think that a handful of them that, that I can kind of tick off at the, the front end, um, being a part of the, uh, kit reveal for Rhode Island FC, and even more importantly, the introduction of that new club, um, to Rhode Island has been incredibly rewarding. Um, I have said on my LinkedIn and, and on, on Twitter, uh, or X, um, over the, the, the year that we've been working with Rhode Island FC. I, I, and I, I think it's partly why we, you and I talk about sports a lot when I'm on here. Um, there is no better reflection of a community's culture than a local sports team. Um, those teams take on the, the values and the culture and the characteristics of the community that they're playing for, um, just as the community takes on the kind of chips on the shoulder or the approach that those teams represent. Um, and being able to work with the, the group that is bringing the only independent professional sports team to Rhode Island is amazing. Like, this is a team that is for Rhode Island. This isn't a, a team that is a, an affiliate of one of the teams in Boston. It's not a team that is having its roster built by another franchise um, to be able to serve their needs. This is a team that is being built of and for Rhode Island. Um, and, and that has been an incredible, incredible opportunity. And we've done it. We've had done everything on that from event planning to media prep to um, reputation management to brand building to um, writing a, a about page for a mascot, um, which is something when I started my firm, I never thought that I would like do a mock interview with a mascot. And it was awesome. Um, and the mascot's amazing. I can't wait for them to come out with some stuffed animals to be able to throw on the bookshelf behind me. Um, so that's one that I'm really proud of. On the policy side or on like the public affairs type of work that we do, I mean, obviously 2023 was a big year for housing. Um, in 2024, it looks like it's going to be just as well. Um, and it should be because it's, it's one of these topics that is a, an absolute crisis. It's foundational to everything else that the state wants to do. Um, so we were there, we talked about this on the pod a couple of weeks ago. Um, we were there when Crossroads broke ground on, um, their, their major new apartment building, um, that's going to provide 176 homes for people who are currently living in, um, in, in, in single occupancy rooms. Um, we worked with one neighborhood builders on a handful of different, um, policy rollouts, including the, 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 the rollout of their roadmap plan, which is going to set the tone for, um, community development and economic development in central Providence. Um, so it has, it's been a great year. Our clients have done some really, really impactful things. Um, they've been in the middle of every meaningful conversation, um, that's taken place in, at the state level, whether it's about healthcare, whether it's about housing, whether it's about economic development, whether it's about education. Um, and we're really excited going into 2024 to be able to continue those conversations, um, but also to be able to start new ones with, with other clients um, that, that we're going to be bringing on and, and that we're going to be working with. All right. Lastly here, for the organizational leaders out there as they start to wind down, and we are in wind down mode. I think everybody knows that in terms of the calendar year and, and activities. So it's really that point. It's not early to start thinking about 2024 
I mean, it's never too early to start thinking about the future, but specifically making, setting goals, setting metrics, and and just kind of mentally preparing for the upcoming year. Your New Year's comms resolutions that yeah. key organizational leaders should make right here, right now, going into next year. Got it. I think whether you're a nonprofit, for-profit, philanthropic, higher ed, public sector, private sector, whatever, um, communications needs to be a priority when you're thinking about your organizational structuring and your 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 way of doing business. If you don't have good communications, you cannot uh, be a high-functioning organization. So as you're thinking about your planning, you're thinking about your budgets for, for 2024, think about doing a SWOT analysis of either your organizational or your personal brand. Um, number two, make an investment in media training. Um, we do this uh, in small group exercises. We do them one-on-one. -on -one. We do them in seminar style. Um, invest in media training and communications training for your organization, for your senior leadership, for your middle management, um, for your communications teams even. Um, number three, focus on making internal communications a core component of your organizational structure, because that is going to be the only way that you can create a culture of brand ambassadorship. And then number four, um, and, and this is something that you should do every year. Sometimes you should do it uh, every six months. Review, update, and share your crisis communications plan with your team. Um, these are all things that we do for clients. These are all things that we do as part of our regular kind of ongoing agency of record engagements. We do them as one-offs. Um, there's a lot of other agencies and firms in this market that do these uh, services as well. Um, and it would be, th these are the kinds of investments that pay dividends and they're a down payment on your success for 2024. Yeah. We've seen several examples this year here in Rhode Island in the business sector, in the governmental sector really even on the individual personal level where just a lack of media training has gotten people into major jams and you go, wow, you know, if you had just had a modicum of preparation in this space, you would have at least softened the blow, if not entirely avoided the crisis, but 100% it's, it's, it is too often overlooked. And I agree with you completely that it is something that is absolutely essential and, and I, I always bring it back down to the individual level, you know, even thinking about that for yourself, you know, it's tempting to just exist in your own space and think, oh, I'll figure it out when I get there on social media, people are putting out content on social media that will in some way, shape or form at some point probably draw you into a disagreement or an argument yeah. or the ire of somebody. How are you preparing for that? How are you owning what you've already done, but also being empathetic to somebody who says, hey, wait a minute, what you posted on X six months ago doesn't reflect the core values that I have. We're supposed to be working together. How do you work through that? Those are critical things. Right. Or just as importantly, how do you make sure that you're using your social to be able to amplify the shared values right. that you have? If, if you're an organizational leader or if you're a board that is responsible for the that or accountable for the performance of an executive at a nonprofit or at a, a, a corporation, you need those leaders to be thinking as much about how their personal brand connects to the organizational brand. And if you're an organizational uh, leader and you're not thinking of yourself as a brand, you're a step behind the eight ball or, or a step behind everything. I, I'm mixing every metaphor. <laughs> right. um, but these are the things that, that organizational leaders, that aspiring leaders need to be thinking of in 2023 and going into 2024, because the, the, the way that people consume media, like we've talked about in the past, 
is so different today than it has been in the past. And people expect the, 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 the leaders that they follow to be brands to themselves. If you want that kind of insight and analysis for your own organization or your own personal brand, halfstreetgroup.com. Mike Rea, as always, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Bill. Happy New Year and can't wait to pick this back up again in January. Absolutely.